All right, we're live on Facebook. Hold on, we're getting Greg is fixing himself up right now. All right, <laughs> All right everybody, this is a Rocker Mike and Rob presents show, and uh, this is the one we've we've been talking about, celebrating the last few days. About we got Mr. Glenn Matlock, formerly of the Sex Pistols and some other fantastic bands. We talk about all that. Uh, Glenn, you are in your Jaguar doing an interview with us. That is yes, fucking cool, man. That is, yes, that is I, awesome. I like the way you say Jaguar because I found out recently we always say Jaguar in England. Yeah. Actually, and we thought the Americans were wrong, but actually they're right. There was a guy from Jag Jaguar saying it should actually be Jaguar and not Jaguar. Ah. So, <laughs> so, so for, for the first time, an American says English right, right? We usually do everything the wrong way. Pretty much. I think we should call up the Guinness, <laughs> we should call up the Guinness Book of Records now. <laughs> hey, so um, Ben, you guys are facing a lockdown right now, right? You're getting shut down again. Yeah, um, starts midnight tonight across the country. Um, yeah. So how long? How long are they doing it? Well, they said four weeks. Holy it's wow! Not a total, it's not a total lockdown. Um, some stuff will be open. So. Right. Yeah. My, yeah. We we might be having the same thing soon too. Who knows? Hopefully not. Well, I think the best thing is that they do it sooner than later. Yeah. Yeah. And then it'll be shorter. Probably so right. They, they Probably could, right. I could have done ours a few weeks back for two yeah. weeks, and it coincided with the kids' half-term holidays. And they right, did it. So we're going to talk about this. Is like a this is your life kind of thing, okay? All right. Um. You know, I, I just want to say off the bat, I mean, I've been following your career most of my life, really, since I was about maybe maybe 12 years old, okay? <laughs> First time I ever heard the Sex Pistols. And, uh, you know, what's so interesting about your career that I find is, you know, a, a lot of people kind of just think about the Pistols and, and, you know, maybe a little bit after, but you've had this, like, amazing pedigree of stuff afterwards that, you know, you played on so many great albums, so many great musicians, everybody from, you know, Iggy Pop to, you know, you, you collaborated with Mick Ronson and things like that on your, on your records and things. I mean, to me, and even doing some research, I learned a few things. So I, I feel like you're kind of like, uh, uh, you know, a, a nice little jewel that hasn't really been dug up yet. But you've been around. I, 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 I felt like that for 45 years. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to go back a little bit. Um, no, you were no, born no, in the Paddington idea. section of London, right? Yeah, I was born okay. in Paddington General Hospital. Yep. Right, right. Now, you were going to a place called St. Martin's School of Art up until 1974. Was that something that, um, you know, going to art school, were you already determined on being a, a musician at that point or you weren't sure? Uh, I wasn't sure. Um, the good thing about art school in England back then, it was, especially in the sixties. I mean, it was before my time, but it was a, it was a good place for people who were skivers, right? <laughs> knew what they didn't want to do. wasn't quite sure exactly what they did want to do, but it gave them a bit of time to find out. And in the sixties, you used to get a grant, so there was a bit of money. I didn't. They stopped it by the time I went. Um, but it was a good way of. Just sort of finding out what you want to do, but also being a like a music fan, all the bands I'd liked, I'd read a bit of research like what you've done on me, they'd all gone to art college. 
So I went to art college to try and get in a band. But the funny <laughs> thing, but the funny thing was, I'd met a band outside of art college, so I took the band to art college and introduced them to the kind of art school scene because there were things going on there. You know, art schools were where people tend to sort of entertain. Um, you know, more kind of wacky, outlandish ideas and things. Yeah. And the guy, yeah. one, one of the guys I met, I, and what was good, I mean, I'm 17 when I went, and um, it was in Soho in the middle of London, which was like the seediest part of London. You know, it's like Greenwich Village or something like that, um, <laughs> as, as it used to be. But there was a couple of art schools around that all had different names. They've now amalgamated. But I met a guy when I was looking for some gigs for the early Sex Pistols, at Central School of Art, which was not far away, and he's still a friend of mine, and he went on to do a lot of stuff, and he's art art director of movies, and he, the, the, the guy who booked the first Sex Pistols show ever, also art directed Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. How's about that? <laughs> wow. wow. That's, that's a guy called Alexander McDowell. Okay. A very clever bloke. So, yeah. Um, that's amazing. Both. That's amazing. Did, so there did, was a scene, you know, and also the scene was, and I was also working for Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood at that time, and I asked Vivian if she thought Malcolm would give me a reference when I applied to art college, and she said, "Well, I don't know if you want to do that," and I said, "Why not?" And she said, "Well, he's been thrown out of every art college in London." <laughs> <laughs> so I was more interested in Malcolm, and he was more interested in me because I was applying to go to art college. So it kind of all. It's all in the mix this somehow. You know, a lot gotcha. of people thought that art, art college was um, kind of like for middle-class kids and stuff. And, well, I'm a working-class bloke. It was where the working-class blokes who could paint a bit met debutantes from Chelsea. So it's not such a terrible thing. Don't knock it. <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all. I mean, it, it, you know, it, gave you, it gave you an opportunity to figure out what you wanted to do, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Now, where, where are you from? You, that sounded a bit Brooklyn to me. Where you want? I was born in Brooklyn. Yeah, <laughs> I live in Queens. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we're, we're down on the Lower East Side right now in a basement. Oh, okay, you anywhere near? I've done. I've done um, uh, uh, Greenwich Village Radio a few years back down that way. Well, we're in we're on the East Side. Yeah, we're uh, on the East Side. Down like yeah, a block it. from St. Mark's Place. Not Greenwich Village. East, yeah, East Village Radio. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's 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 we where it used to be. Yeah, I know. Uh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, um, story goes that you you met uh, Steve and Paul when you were working at uh, the uh, Malcolm's shop, right? Yeah, it's Teddy Boy shop. Yeah, the Teddy Boy well, shop. Well, right now, Steve and Paul kind of had a band already at that point, yeah. or were they? Did you kind of start it with them? No, no. They'd already had a band already. There was another guy in a band who's kind of been written out of history a little bit called Wally Nightingale. Wally, right, right. And he went a bad guitarist. He didn't really look the part, um, but he could play a bit. He's, and they kind of wanted to be the faces, you know, ish. They didn't want to be the faces, but that was a starting point. And they liked early Roxy music and... Steve Ellis's love affair and things. We <laughs> was all. Wally was probably the best musician. I was next, and Steve and Paul. But we was all learning to play, you know. And if anybody yeah. was a bit better than the other one, it was only because they were like two weeks ahead of the other one, you know. 
Now, did you do a lot of covers to start with? Yeah, but you know what's good about doing covers? What's that? Is some, sometimes they're a bit hard. Yeah. Right? So you try and play them, and it don't sound nothing like the original, right? But yeah. then you think, ah, oh, it still sounds like something, and you've got your own song. So yeah. It's, it's yeah, quite I got you. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's like nicking it, but not really nicking it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's, that's cool, that's cool. That. But, I mean, you know, when you were doing covers and you kind of started doing originals for the reason you said, um, what was the first song that, that you wrote within the band? Because I know you wrote a lot of the songs. So what was the first original? Well, they sort of made one original which really kind of lasted the, the time and it was called Scarface oh. and, and the lyrics were about some kind of gangster who had a scar uh -huh. and the lyrics were by written were written by Wally's dad who was an electrician right <laughs> but that song actually became Did You Know Wrong it, it kept going through what, different changes what, what song did it become? Did You Know Wrong Oh, okay, great oh. one, yeah, wow. And that, original, okay. and that original guitar riff was Wally's, and he got credited in the end. That's but, awesome, you know, that that's awesome. Thing, you know, I, ne I never knew that, I never knew that. How did you come up with the name for Sex Pistols? How did you come up with the name for Sex Pistols? Because when I started working for Malcolm, his shop was called Let It Rock, it was a teddy boy shop, and he wanted to change it, and he wanted to call it Sex. It was sort of something that was kind of catchy, and then we was just the pistols from the sex shop, the sex pistols. Oh, right. Yeah. That's such yeah. a simple. Now, were you were you there when when uh, when John auditioned to sing? Yeah. Okay. Did you think he was the one? Were you um, happy with his performance? He was the best. He was best of the bunch that we had up till then. Okay. There wasn't that many people, but there was a few. And um, yeah, John had something, and he he, he sort of sang, sang along to an Alice Cooper song in a jukebox after we'd had a few drinks in the pub. I've and, I've heard it was the song "I'm 18." Is that correct? Yeah, and, great um, song. But it was a funny situation for him to be in. You know, it was very awkward. Yeah, but he, he kind of turned it around somehow. So yeah, so we thought we'd run with it, and then we started taking it a bit more seriously. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's cool. That's cool. What can you tell us about the Anarchy in the UK tour that you did with the Clash and Johnny Thunders and the and the Dam? Um, what can I tell you about it? It was a bit boring, really, because we 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 didn't get to play anywhere. It was a drag. We had a record out. We had all these places wanting to ban us, but we had done this TV show where Steve swore his head off on live TV, and we became. Yeah. The Bill Grundy show, right? The ones about two weeks, and we got banned from everywhere. So it was. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think you only played about seven shows. Is that right? Approximately? No, I think three. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, and then they just stopped them from playing shows? Okay, they, what well, happened? We, was... Yeah, we say we still went round and turned up at the gigs because we wanted to play. And if we didn't turn up, we wouldn't have got the money you know um yeah <laughs> or half the money so we had to we had to fulfill the contract but we get there and they say you're not playing so it was all a bit of a thing you know and then, and then it had become a bit um everybody got on top of each other and that's when we started arguing really you know so 
Yeah, yeah. Now, I read in a book, uh, you might be familiar with Please Kill Me. Have you ever read that? Please Kill Me. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got it on the side. I'll flip through it. Yeah, it's, it, it's about the New York punk scene around CBGBs. Right. Uh, I think I read in there that, um, you know, Johnny Thunders, when he when he did that tour with you guys, that really, like, heroin hadn't been a problem on your scene too much until he came along. Is there any accuracy to that? So, about the size of it. It wasn't just Johnny. It was the rest of them. The heartbreakers, right? The whole thing, yeah, yeah. But I mean, but the only thing is, is I don't know, the wild and crazy boys, but they were, they were a really good band of heartbreakers. Oh, yeah, oh, oh yeah. yeah. You heard you about Walter really, Walter really, yeah, the summer. Summer. You, the, you heard the, about Walter passing away, right? Yeah, they, they, they've been gigging a lot, you know, and they could play. And boom. they, they, they do you know what? They were so good, they was nearly as good as us. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but you, you heard Walter passed away over the yeah. summer, right? Yeah, very sad. Yeah, he was a nice I guy. We actually bit. did a tour two years ago with Walter. We did the LAMF thing with yeah. Burke and Mike Ness. You know, right, right. I remember, I remember that at Bowery Electric. Bowery Electric, and then we did one in um, in Brooklyn somewhere. Well, yeah. Right, right. Now in in February. Of '77, you you quit the Sex Pistols. Yeah, and you know, you wrote a book in 1990 called uh, "I Was a Teenage Sex Pistol." I've I've actually read it, um, yeah. and you claimed it was kind of the relationship between you and John was the real reason, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, you know what's what's so crazy about it all is is all the stories that came out after the fact kind of blurred all that um did you have a lot of bad feelings at the time when you started hearing you know I don't, that, I you, know, you like Beatles or whatever you know. well, it was, that's because it was bullshit and it wasn't true you know so that upset me but on the other hand i was busy you know i went straight on and i formed another band of rich kids we got a, yeah. quite a big record deal was working hard on that and then but when that didn't you know, when it had run its course, because Mid-Year and Rusty Egan kind of started a band, Visage, and they started the whole new romantic thing with Steve Strange. That yeah. Kind of broke that up. yeah. But then I got a phone call from Iggy Pop. The next thing I'm on tour with Iggy Pop and I made an album. I was busy. I was, I was just going to get, I was just going to get into all that. Um, yeah, I want to ask you a question. Like you, um, what do you think of the whole punk scene? Do you like the punk scene? Because you seem to be much more of a pop guy. Than a punk scene guy, like, well, like I like I like rock and roll music. You know, I was brought up in the sort of sixties, and we had this fantastic thing, pirate radio, where bands like the Kinks and the Yardbirds and the Who and the Early Stones and the Small Faces. That's what got me going. Yeah, I didn't course. sound exactly like them, but I wanted to keep that spirit. You know, and then through the sixties, we become prog rock and bollocks. You know. Yeah, and and those were great. We went back to something a bit more simpler as as a reaction to. To um, you know, Jeffro Tull and Barclay James Harvest and Pink Floyd and you know, <laughs> it's big difference. You know, songs that are, are quite Shakespearean, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. But you know, you you guys never called it the punk scene. That was just a name thrown on you by the media. Okay, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, to, to us, and I think we'd all in the band would agree this. We wasn't really punks. We were the Sex Pistols. 
the punk scene was what came afterwards. But it right. was good for us because it was it kind of made it look like we was the pinnacle of this movement in England. But I I like punk, but it all depends what you call punk, and it's a very broad church. You know, there's a big difference between well, the Sex Pistols and the Clash. They're to totally different bands for start, but there's a big right. difference then between the Buzzcocks and Wire. They're all supposed to be punk bands, but you know, Wire sound like early Pink Floyd. And, yeah. and, and, and Glenn, it was the same thing in the New York scene. All the bands were different. Yeah, well, you know? yeah but, that's a, but that's a good thing, you know, and it's like yeah. Talking Heads and the Ramones and Blondie. Like, kind of <laughs> I, 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 to I, totally, I totally agree. Now, one last question about the pistols I want to ask you. Actually, it's kind, of, <laughs> just kind, kind of a two-part, then we'll move on to bigger and better things. Um, when when they recorded the album, okay, never yeah. mind, Alex, you had already moved on, you were out of the band. There's all different stories about your involvement on it. Did you play on it? No, I don't play much of it at all. I mean, my claim to fame is that they're my songs, you know. Yeah, so, right. You wrote a bunch of them, right? Pardon? You you wrote you wrote a lot of the songs on the album, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not okay. you know, not all of them, but all the catchy bits of mine. And Pretty Bacon's my song, totally. And uh, you know, <laughs> I now, don't overall, really like talking about all this, but you keep up. People always ask me these questions, you know. Yeah, and I know, I know, and I told you I wouldn't, I wouldn't go crazy with it. But last pistols question I want to ask you is do you think that Malcolm McLaren's involvement with the band was more of a, a, a helpful thing or a hurtful thing? How would you describe it? It's both, you know. It, yeah. It's, Could you have it, done it without it, him? It, you couldn't have had one. No, it, it wouldn't have happened without. Nobody would have heard of us if it wasn't for him. But I think equally, nobody would have heard of him if it wasn't for us. Yeah. So it was a symbiotic relationship, you know. Symbiotic, right, right. And, and everybody who was involved in that scene had, had a contribution to make. You know, Jamie Reed's fantastic artwork. Um, even this guy called Bernard Rhodes that went on to manage the Clash. He was Malcolm's mate at the beginning, you know, and he'd be coming oh. down and putting ideas in. And we didn't always listen to him. But yeah. they were older than us and they were hip, you know, and it all kind of rubs off somehow, you know. Yeah. All right, now... After the Pistols, you got right back on your feet. You started another band called The Rich Kids with uh, Steve New, Midger, and Rusty Egan. Um, the band's been described at times as power pop. Yeah. Um, do you agree with that description? I know you kind of just talked about it a little bit, but did you feel it was? I mean, you were you were some of the songs are heavy. I don't know if I agree with that power pop. He was at rock and roll, like more rock and roll than power pop. Yeah, I, I thought we had a bit more going than just a power pop thing. I mean, it's, you know, people seem to want to put music into some kind of pigeonhole because they can't really describe it in words, and that's kind yeah. of what we got stuck with. But I know, you know, we were one of the first bands. We were really big into Bowie. Um, was working with Mick Ronson. You know, we really loved Low and Heroes and Lust for Life and the Idiot Bowie Iggy albums. I think we was the only band other than Bowie to put a harmonizer on the snare, snare drum first time around. So I think there's more going on than that. You know, songs like Strange One and Ghost and Marching Man and Hung On You, mm -hmm. they're my favorites from that. I think if we managed to make an album that was all like that, but we, we didn't kind of. 
I mean, me, me, me personally, the album is one of my favorites from from those couple of years there, like 78, 79, 80. It's one of my favorites. Um, you got taste. Recording for John Peel, DJ John Peel, when you were yeah, in well, Richmond. Sorry, uh, sorry, what, do you remember, what do you remember of John? Because he, he is such an important figure. What do you remember of him? Um, he was, I met him a few times. He was a sort of quiet, um, almost a bit of a shy bloke. Knew his, knew his music. Um, had an eye for, you know, stuff out there. I mean, it was because of John Pill that I dug the faces. He he would play and T Rex. He would play them. He had a show right. in the late sixties, early early seventies called um, Top Gear. You know, and I started listening to that, and that and that was when I first started listening to music that wasn't just sort of daytime pop music. You know. Yeah, yeah. We're actually planning on doing a show on John Peel because uh, he's come up so often right, in exactly. shows that we've done, like you say, T Rex. Uh, um, even like the undertones and bands like that, he was influential on getting that music out there. So we're gonna do a show on him. Another guy I want to do a show on, and 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 you knew him was Mick Ronson. Now, right. how did how did he get involved with producing the Ghost of Princes and Towers album for the Rich Kids? Because um, there were two guys that used to manage us, Pete and Jerry, and Pete was like a tour manager. And the phone rang one day, and this voice from Hull went, oh, hello, is, is Peter there, please? And I said, no, he's not. Um, can I take a message? And he went, oh, uh, he said, oh, um, can you tell him Michael called? And I said, hang on a second, that's not Mick Ronson, is it? And he went, yeah. And he said, who are you? And I said, I'm Glenn. He said, oh, it's not Glenn Matlock, is it? <laughs> and I said, how do you know who I am? And he said, well, Peter told me that he was managing you. And I said, well, look, we're looking for a producer. Are you interested? And he said, yeah. He said, let's meet up. So he came down the next night. Then we yeah. played a couple of songs and he liked them. And we all went to the pub and got horribly drunk together. <laughs> and that was it. So you don't get what you don't ask for. So <laughs> That was smart. That's, that's amazing. Wow. Rick was fantastic. He was a superlative musician. He was funny. He had a lot of style. He's a great guitarist, great arranger. You know, he's. I think he's kind of unheralded a bit. I mean, what would a Transformer the oh, yeah. album been without him? You know. Yeah, you couldn't have had Transformer without Mick Ronson. I mean, he did all the arrangement, all the. Uh, I mean, he played the piano, he, he, everything on that. He even played the recorder on it. Wow! Amazing, amazing. Very underrated guy. Kind of, he's almost forgotten in some circles. I I talk about Mick Ronson all the time. I play a lot of his music. Good man. Now, after the Rich Kids, you also got involved with uh, one of my all-time favorite people. That's Iggy Pop. Oh, yeah. Right. All right. Um, you know, Iggy basically was putting a band together uh, for the Soldier album that he was going to record, right? Well, no, no. It, it was before them. You, got, you, you were in his band before? Basically, okay, how'd that happen? Well, he made the New Values album, and the guy who... Oh. Um, Guy who played played bass on the album, Jackie Clark, was going to play second guitar on the tour, the live tour. So they were short with a bass player, and my agent was his agent, this guy called John Giddings, and I, and he knew that the Rich Kids singer just broken up, and he suggested yeah. me. And I've 
the fact I was just sitting at home, you know, the rich kids thing had folded and I didn't know what to do. And I actually really thought to myself, hmm, what am I going to do now? Wouldn't it be great if the phone rang? And I'm not kidding you, two minutes later, the phone rang. <laughs> and, it, and I said, who's that? And this guy said, well, look, you don't know me. My name's Peter Davis, but I manage Iggy Pop. And Jim's here. And he'd like to have a word with you. I spoke to him. And he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I don't know, I'm talking to you. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, we're in London. He said, would you like to make for a drink? And I said, where are you staying? He said, at the Athenaeum, which is a very fancy hotel. And I said, yeah, I said, who's buying? He said, we are. And I was down there in half an hour. The next thing, I'm on tour around Europe with Iggy, you know. But the thing with playing with Iggy is he'd been touring properly for a lot. And everything I'd done up to then, the Rich Gears and the, and the Sex Pistols, he hadn't done that many big shows, you know. But it was always mates helping us out with the gear, and they didn't really know what plugs into where, and leads didn't work, and it was all a bit amateur. But Iggy had a proper crew, and... You know, we were flying to places, and there you go. And the first time I went to the States, I was playing with Iggy Pop. And, in fact, the first show I ever did in New York, we headlined the Palladium on, the, was it on Canal Street. I don't think it's there anymore. Was that, it was that a show with the Cramps? With the, with the Cramps supported us. And it I, was I heard Halloween. about that. It was Halloween. The whole audience was in Halloween outfits, which in oh. England we never used to really celebrate then. And backstage was... Debbie Harry dressed as a witch and she gave me a kiss on the cheek. It was fantastic. <laughs> First time in the New York. Like, well, we, we, we got something we got something in common because Debbie Harry was on one of her solo tours in the late 80s and I went and I got there for the sound check, me and a couple other people, and when she was done, she came down and she kissed me on the cheek too. <laughs> was it the left one or the right one? <laughs> I was I was like I'm not washing my face for a week. I still haven't. But there you go. Oh, man. But, um, okay, so when when it came time to do the Soldier album with Iggy, uh, I, I pulled it out. Uh, I have it on vinyl. I was listening to it yesterday. And one thing I, I didn't remember is, is, is you got some great writing credits on there. Like, you wrote, uh, you got a writing credit for Ambition, Mr. Dynamite, Take care of me, and I need more. Yeah, that's right. I, I was, I, I totally forgot that. And were you aware that there is a store here on the Lower East Side called I Need More? Um, no, I didn't know that, but I do know that poor old Jimmy from Trash and Broadville. That's 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 what he I was had I need more tattooed on his back. You know. Yeah, that was Jimmy's store when he left. Trash in vaudeville a couple yeah. of years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah, that's cool. That's cool. Well, I mean, but with that album, there was some there was some controversy with that. James Williamson originally brought in on it, and I think Bowie did some producing afterwards. They, they, James Williamson started producing it, and he had an argument with Bowie and walked out of the studio, so he was left with no producer. Um. Yeah, and in fact, he never. James never did anything in music again, ever again. Up until a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, until he got the... When poor old Scott Ashton died, and LeBron Ashton died, and he got the phone call from Iggy, and then he was in the Stooges again. So that's right. quite a sort of a rag. To, but he did well in the meantime. He became... I'm still friends with with um, James. Um, and he got pretty... He went and retrained and got himself a job 
and ended up as vice president of Sony Electronics Division in Silicon Valley. <laughs> wow. That's a jam. He stuck his neck out and got rewards and then got the phone call to play big again. So there you go. <laughs> now, what, one thing with that album. Uh, There's some good songs on that album. What's that? There's some good songs on that album. And and it's a great right. bass playing by you. The production on it, they, they really, there's a lot of bass on that album. You hear a lot of it. More well, than one, one, of the, one of the tracks, Loco Mosquito, yeah. he's not credited, but Bowie actually mixed that, and he pushes up my bass in the middle. There's a you can tell. And he puts the bass right up, so I was quite chuffed about that. Yeah, you, you could definitely tell. Wow. Yeah. But, um, you know, doing those, that's all, I mean, you toured the Soldier album also, right? No, not really. No. What happened was we did the European tour for New Values and then we broke and made the album but didn't mix it. And then we continued the New Values tour in the States and then it it was mixed in... in um, It was mixed in New York at the end of the tour. Right. But, um, but yeah, and then it kind of all went a bit tits up again. I, I, okay. I love playing with Biggie, but I got fed up with him getting his dick out in front of me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but really, it's not. And do you wow. know what? Nice, nice bloke. Not that impressive. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about your book, uh, I Was a Teenage Sex Pistol, that came out in 1990. Did you write that book to kind of get the record straight on things? Was that something that you felt... You had to do a little bit, yeah. Also, I got fed up with talking about the sex business right. all the time, and I, I thought if I wrote a book about it, I'd never have to answer another question about the sex business again. But of course, as soon as you write a book about something, people ask you all the questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. You brought attention. It, 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 was, it was quite cathartic for me because you know I've been busy, and then I got a bit quiet, and I didn't quite know what to do next, and. Always been busy doing sessions and playing with people and having little projects. And the musician's life is some things take off and some things don't. And, um, you know, it's a bit of a roller coaster. And I thought it'd be a good way to kind of just clear my mind out. And it kind of made me sort of come to a bit more of an accommodation with myself. Yeah. I wrote that book. So I'm, gl I'm glad I did it. And I'm quite happy it's still out now. You can still buy it online. I yeah. I, I, it's still for sale. You can get it. Yeah. So writing the book. So, so now it's, it, now it's in its fifth or sixth edition, you know. Yeah, right. Writing the book was almost like therapy, right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, you put everything on the writing. <laughs> do you have a Do you have another one in the works, maybe? I've been thinking about, about it, but thinking about it. I mean, J uh, John's wrote two. You write two. Well, that's that's the problem. That's the problem. You see, I don't know how you can have two life stories. I, I said the same thing. I actually, his his second book, I actually prefer more than the first one. Well, I haven't read any of them, so I'll have to yeah. make it work. No. Uh, you, well, you know the stories anyway. Yeah, maybe. But um, in, in 1994, uh, you were in a band called the Mavericks, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, I just want to mention a little shout out to a friend of ours, a guy named Ron Granger. Uh, he did a show on with us about uh, Slade. Okay, he was a, he's a Brit and he's a, he used to follow Slade around. Now he texted me yesterday, and he wanted to mention 
that he's cousins with Paul Ryan from the Mavericks. Okay. Yeah, yeah so we just wanted to say so hello. Cousin, cousin with who? I missed that last bit. Paul? Uh, uh, his name is Ron Granger, and he's cousins with Paul from the Mavericks, Paul O'Brien. Okay, not, not Gary Granger. Gary Granger? Well, we call him Ron. I don't know if that... Well, perhaps there's another, because there's another guy I don't know that well, Gary Granger. He used to play for Rod Stewart, and he's related to Paul O'Brien. He might be. As, he might as, be. As, as well, so maybe he's... But the thing with Paul O'Brien, who now lives in New Zealand, really? is a good lad. Um, he's got some, everywhere you go in the world. I, I get a phone call. You're playing in Ypsilanti tonight. Um, I've got a cousin there. Can you put him on the guest list? You're playing in Paris. I've got a cousin. Can you put him on a So <laughs> he, he's probably got one called them. It's good to have a connection in New Zealand, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, the Mavericks, um, I saw some footage on YouTube of it, of them. You guys did the Mick Ronson Memorial. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I became, you know, after meeting Mick, I became big friends with her family. And I'm good friends with Maggie Ronson, his younger sister. Yeah. Uh, and she got it together and she asked me to do it. But yeah, that was a good night. It was a, you know, a bittersweet, sad night. Okay. But, uh, you know, other people played it. I mean, we had, we played and Blue Weaver, great keyboard player, used to be in. Well, he'd been in Mock the Hoople and he'd also been in Love Affair, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Did you um, ever meet Ian Hunter? Yeah, a few times. Well, I played with Ian Hunter. I, I did a bit with Mick Ronson. We did a lot of work on his Never Alone with the Schizophrenic album. Oh, right. So I played on that with him. It was supposed to be Simon Coke, and Clyde Bunker from... Um, Jeff wrote soul, but the thing was, Ian hadn't finished writing all the songs. We was in a studio in London, it got a bit boring. I said, you're daft. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you've only got half your songs. We're sitting there, it's costing a fortune. And he said, well, I can do that. I said, well, okay. I didn't realise, I think they wanted me to work with the writing, but I was in a bit of, yeah. in awe of them. I said, why don't you take a break and go and write the rest of the songs? And he went, hmm. And then he did. <laughs> and he wrote some more songs. But what he did, he went back to America to have his break, and then he re-recorded the whole album with the E Street Band, so I should have kept my kept mouth shut. Uh, wow, wow. <laughs> but it okay, was good, so, you know, at the age of 23. I'm in the studio with Mick Ronson and Ian Hunter and stuff. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. How did you get involved with the, uh, with the Damned on their Not of This Earth album? Well, I didn't. Um, the only thing I did, I'm friends with Rat Scabies, and he was yeah. doing some stuff. I can't even remember when it was. He was doing some stuff, and he said, well, I'll come and put some bass on it. So it was some studio. I didn't even know what it was for, right? And I thought it was one of his projects. And um, I went down there. When I got down there, the bass player was there. And he, Rat was talking to him. And as I walked in, Rat went... Right, Glenn's in, now fuck off. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, this is embarrassing. Um, and then I did his stuff. I, don't, I never even heard the finished song. It was, I'll just put some bass on it. I think, I, think it's one, I think it's one track. You, you, you get a credit on the album. I have the album. You get a credit. Well, on it, was a, I, it was a song I remember doing Slipstream or something. I don't know if that's the one. Yeah, yeah. We saw the dam together last year uh, when they opened for the Misfits at Madison Square Garden. And 
I've seen the damned about seven or eight times over the years. And just to see them in Madison Square Garden incredible. was incredible. Yeah, I thought that was cool. But I, I actually bumped into um, Dave Anian last week. Great singer. Yeah, and the, it was funny. I bumped into him in Baker Street. Uh-huh. And, I said, and he had a big coat on with this lady friend of his. And they looked all a bit old-fashioned with their 1930s style coat. And I said, where have you been? You've been to the... To the um, Who's the detective? Who's the, who's the famous English fictional detective from Baker Sherlock Street? Holmes? Sherlock Holmes? Yeah. I said, you've been to the Sherlock Holmes Museum? And he said, yeah, but it was shut. He said, I want to get a box of <laughs> Anyway, I was chatting to him, but they're going out with the, damn, with the original Dan, with Brian James. And, yeah, and yeah. So they have the, the one of the best. Now, um... In 96, you came out with a solo album called Who's He Think He Is When He's At Home? That's right, yeah. Right, right. And But also in 96, the Sex Pistols got back together. Well, do you know what? I made that album in 90, late 1995. Right. And I signed to Creation. And at that stage, there was no talk about the Sex Pistols reforming. And it came together really quickly. The because I went to LA to see some people, and I ended up sort of mending some fences with Steve and John. The next thing we got a world tour, which I wasn't going to say no to. But I also had this album out, yeah, that was about to come out, and it kind of looked like I was cashing in. But when I made the record, I didn't even know there was going to be a sexual tour, you know. So, and I think there's some good songs on that album. I've done no. That it- it is. It is. I, I did check some of it out. Uh, I do remember when it came out. I remember reading about it in like uh, Max Rock and Roll or something like that. And but then right away the the Sex Pistols thing happened. So I thought it kind of got a little overshadowed. Yeah, you got well overshadowed. Yeah. 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 But, but don't mean it's not a bad record. There's some good songs on it. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I, I was amazed when the Pistols got back together. I never thought I would. I would see them. I did well, we see you were. guys at Roselands in New York City. That's okay, a great so that, for that gig. That yeah, was like in 96 or so. Talking, um, to Debbie, talking to Debbie Harry, when we was playing away, there was supposed to be nobody on the stage, right? Apart from yeah. the down guy. And, and the other side of the stage was just a PA stack that Roseland. And when I'm playing, I thought, there's somebody in the darkness behind the PA column. I thought, no, there shouldn't be anybody there. And I kind of, we finished one number. I looked at somebody there, did one more number. Look around. There's two people there. Dennis Hopper and Uma Thurman. Oh, my God. Right? <laughs> yeah, but it turned out those mates with Steve. But like Debbie Harry, I got introduced to Uma Thurman, gave me a kiss on the other cheek, and I still haven't watched that one. <laughs> uh, you, beat, you beat me on that one. I never got kissed by her. But, <laughs> yeah. but at least I get, didn't get kissed, kissed by Dennis Hopper. <laughs> <laughs> wow. One thing I was really curious about all these years with that reunion tour, um, why no new songs? Because John, John didn't want to do it. Oh. He just wanted to do what was out there and that was it. Well, I think he was kind of not scared, but I think he thinks the whole Pistols thing is there. And then if you do something that doesn't match up to it, it's got a danger of denigrating that. I can see that. But 
I don't see that's a reason to not try to do that. I, 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 I agree. It's, it's a challenge. And uh, if, you, if you wrote something and it didn't really come up to scratch, uh, there, there was a couple of ideas knocking around. I wrote something, Paul wrote something, and we knocked them through with, with um, Chris Thomas, who thought they were good, but John wouldn't write any words, so that's, it just kind of petered out, really, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the timing of it, I thought, was great. I mean, 96, 97 was the height of, you know, Green Day and yeah. bands like that, that didn't measure up to you guys whatsoever. You couldn't really kick some ass by making a new album showing how it was supposed oh, yeah. to be done. Yeah, totally. You know, I, I, I always thought you could have. Well, thanks for thinking that. It's just the way it went, you know. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, okay. Well, you, know, you know, I'm not that bothered about it. It's just could have done it, didn't want to do it. So there you go. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, during the time of the... Of the Texas, you did a couple of reunions between '96 and 2008, but you also had a band called the Philistines. Uh, three albums. Philistines. Philistines. Am I saying it wrong? Well, you're saying. I'm American. American. I don't know how to speak English. <laughs> well, you're saying it in American, mate, but we're English, so it's the Philistines. But I got okay. a friend. All right. I got a, I got a friend, a Jewish friend in um in New York, New York, New York. And she told me, we had the same conversation. She said, when Jewish people in New York have got Stein in their name, it's when they're kind of working class, they're a Stein. Yeah. But when they start to think they're Steen, and when they start <laughs> to think they're climbing the social ladder, they become a Stein. Right. right. So that's the upper class version. Yeah. So that's it. That's it. We, we was upper class Philistines, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, there were three albums with the Philistines. You had Open Mind. On something, born running, but you also had best of two after that. What do you remember about those times playing with that band? That was more of a rock band, right? Well, it was more of a rock band. I mean, basically, they were me, you know. Yeah. And with my, my mates, whoever was around at the time. And um, that was kind of it, you know. I'm a songwriter and you write songs, and when you got more than 12 songs in your head, if you don't record them and get them out, you can't write another 12. Yeah. So soon you've got enough songs for an album. That's the kind of way it works, really. But yeah, yeah. I, th I think all those, I'm proud of pretty much all the songs and all the albums I've, I've put out. But I've never really felt I've got the business side of it together to kind of work them properly, you know. But now I have. You know, the last album I did, and now I've got another album in the can, which isn't out yet. Um, really? And it would have been out now if it wasn't for right. the whole lockdown COVID thing. So it's put it back a bit. But great. The, the last album I had, Slim Jim and L Slick playing on it. This new one, I've got L Slick and some other guys, Chris Musto and Hot Eye. Yeah. Norman Watry plays bass on some of it, which I'm really pleased that he did that. You know, the guy from the Blockheads. So, you know, now you played. writing has been quite consistent. Right, right. You played in a band called Slinky Vagabond that I saw you guys at the Joey Ramone birthday bash at Irving Plaza back in 2007. Yeah. Uh, how'd you get involved with doing that show? Because there was a guy from St. Martin's School of Art who's a fashion designer who lives in New York. He's a friend of mine, Keenan Dufty, who sings a bit. And um, we, ch he, in fact, he did some clothes for the one of the Sex Pistols tours is how I met him. And he did some music. And he called me up. And he said, I put some stuff up on, 
I think it was even MySpace, you know, a long time ago. Yeah. And he said, this guy's called me up, says he likes my stuff. You know, do you want to do something? He said, I don't know what to do. And I said, who's the, who's the guy? And he said, it's Al Slick. What should I do? I said, well, fucking do it, you nitwit. It's, you know, it's awesome. don't look at gift balls in the mouth. And then he <laughs> said to me, he called me back and he said, well, I'm going to go in the studio and do something well. He said, if we send you the tapes, will you put some bass on it? I said, yeah, sure. And then he called me up again. And he said, well, I bumped into Clem Burke, who he knew. And he said, he'll play drums on it. I said, well, if you got Clem on it and Al, just book a studio and I'll come over. Because I'm, you know, I like Cl- Cl- Clem's, a, Clem's a fantastic drummer. So we went up to this studio called Clubhouse in Rhinebeck. And that's where I met Al for the first time. And, and we got on quite well. And in fact, we, he said, what key is this song in? And somebody said, and he got a capo out, you know, to change the key. And I said to him, that's cheating. Then he went, wise guy, you know, we immediately had this kind of Walter Mattel, Jack Lemon thing going on. <laughs> it's funny, you know, I like it. He's a great guitarist, you know. Don't tell him that, but he's great. Yeah. I like him in, uh, I mean, he's known for the work he did with Bowie and stuff, but I liked him in Phantom Rocker and Slick. Yeah, I don't know so much about that band, but well, that was, that was and I know, and I know you you've been playing with 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 Slim Jim. Yeah, and, at that, uh, at that they, stage, when I made my last album, which yeah. is good to go, which is out on Amazon and you know YouTube and uh, all the usual outlets, I went to, I went to see Dylan play at the Albert Hall in London, and oh. I I've always done loads of acoustic shows, just me and an acoustic guitar. I, yeah. I enjoy doing that. Yeah. Um, and I went to see Dylan, and do you know what? He was really boring. He'd written some fantastic songs. You couldn't work out which one was which. Yeah. He looked like he didn't want to be there, although he does 100 gigs a year. He looked really uncomfortable. So I concentrated on the band. And the band he had, he had um, Tony Garnier playing double bass. He had Charlie Saxton on guitar. And the, the drum, I can't remember who the drummer was, but he played half the songs with brushes. And I thought, oh, perhaps I could do something like that with my songs. Yeah. Who, who do I know? And I thought, oh, I know Slim Jim. You know, he's only yes. got half a drum kit. I'll ask him. I said, well, I'm thinking of making a record. Would you play drums on it? And he said, yeah. And I said, you got any ideas for a guitarist? And he said, well, how about Slick? I didn't know that Slim Jim knew Earl. I'd already met Earl. And it yeah, they were in the band. Place, you know. So we went upstate, rocked to mine back again, and, and did the, the thing, you know. I, I always feel that that maybe you know maybe you want to go back and, and get a copy of the album Slim Jim, but uh, I think that's one of the most underrated albums of the eighties. Okay, I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah, they had that one sort of hit called Men Without Shame. That was like a top forty kind of thing. But well, I know I know they had a big hit in Australia. Um, yes. And Keith yeah. Richards plays on that album. Yeah, yeah. it's, they, it's they very cool. Me a few times. They they did a second album which I didn't like as much, but the first one is is really good. Right. You know, now let's talk about your latest. I know you said you got one in the can that hasn't come out yet, but you got one called "Good to Go" that came out in 2018. Yeah, and that's the one with, with Slim Jim and, and right. Earl on it. I mean, Earl isn't playing that. Great, great, great album cover, man. You combing your hair. Great, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I, no, I like that album a lot. It's, that, it, you know. it's a it's a different kind of album for you. Well, yeah, deliberately so. You know, it was again sort of getting that bit of Americana in. I want to record it in the states. You know, I get fed up with kind of punk rock that goes. You know, it's all such chug eights all the time. And when you play with Slim Jim, he wants to swing everything. You know, like a rockabilly kind of thing. Yeah, and it kind of fits in with the way I I, I don't even play bass on that album. I play acoustic guitar. You know, right. Because I really like in the Spiders from Mars, the way Bowie plays rhythm acoustic. You know, yes. it gives more space to the sound. I was kind of trying to go for that a little bit. You know, I don't want to copy things, but it's it's just a good sort of starting point. So that's what uh, it came together. We recorded, we recorded twelve songs in you know a week, and then I went home to London and finished off the vocals and mixed it. And the guy who mixed it is Mary McNulty, who did Bowie's last album. You know, Elf yeah, introduced me to him, and he worked with him on the the last day album. Black Star. But, yeah. No, yeah. I think it was the last day. You know, the one where it looks like heroes and it's got a... Oh, yes, the one before that, yeah. I met, yeah, the yeah. Guy who, I met the guy who did that artwork, you know, with a post-it note. And I said, I thought your artwork was fantastic. And he said, do you know what? You're the first one who said that to me. And I really appreciate it coming from you. He was a cool guy. Okay, <laughs> all right. Good idea, you know. That's great. That's great. Okay, Glenn. I'm going to wind down here, but I'm going to ask you about three bands and I want you to tell me how much they were influenced or what you think of them. Okay. Right. First band, the Ramones. What can you say about the Ramones? Well, what can I say about the Ramones? I like the Ramones. I think they were kind of like dirty bubblegum rock and roll, you know, they're sort of, to me, they're somehow the Archers meet, meets the Kingsmen, you know? Yes. That's <laughs> very uh, good. Cool. And when they first came to England, we knew of the Ramones, but they hadn't made a record. Right. right. So we didn't know what they sounded like. We all went to see them at Dingwalls. And we were kind of quite surprised how similar they were to us, kind of. They were. Nobody else was doing that kind of thing. So we both, you know, when I come to New York, sometimes I get asked to do some kind of punk seminar or something like that. And people always say, who came first, the, the, the Sex Pistols or the Ramones? And of course, being the Englishman in New York, I always say the Sex Pistols to wind people up for a laugh. But really, you know, we both grew up at the same time, opposite sides of the Atlantic. And I think it's because everybody got it, everybody got it, everybody got fed up with all the kind of, you know, the pompous kind of bands, like I said, like Barclay, James Armist, Harvest, and yep. Yes, and all that, at the same time, you know, they, they wanted something new. So, there you go. I like the Ramones. I did a tour with them. I had a band called The Spectres, which we haven't mentioned, but I supported them in, in England. I did a whole tour. So, yeah. Did you see the did you see the argument that John had with Marky? Yeah. Crazy, right? Did you did, did you, did you agree with him? I I I kind of prefer what Marky had to say, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. The, the next the next band I gotta ask you about is Motorhead. Is who? Motorhead. What, what's your opinion on Motorhead, Lemmy? Um, I thought they were good. I thought they were very much like the Ramones. They were long hair, I thought. Cut yeah. The same cloth somehow. Um, oh, I wasn't a big fan. I, <clears throat> I'm not a big fan of all that kind of sort of comic strip 
artwork and you know the devil yeah. and six 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 and I just just think it's bollocks basically. Yeah, you know, so they, kind of they, they, would, they would be they would be lumped in with that heavy metal stuff sometimes, but I always thought they were just a heavy rock band. Heavy rock band, but that side of it, yeah, they, no, they're more of a rock and roll band, kind of. But yeah. all those kind of graphic things and all that, it, it just makes me think it's like music for tractor, for tractor mechanics. Yeah, did, did, what do you think of his bass playing? Because a lot of people love his bass playing. Yeah, he's, he's kind of direct and to the point. Yeah, yeah. He, brought, and he, he had a long life. history going back to the 60s, the Rock and Vickers and all that. I mean, I knew I knew Lemmy pretty well. He used to drink with the punks. Yeah, and I know. Just about when he was um, he was going to split Hawkins, you know. Yeah, Jack Daniels all the time. <laughs> he drank a lot of Jack Daniels, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool, I, cool. I never saw I never saw him fall over. Though, but there you go. Now, you know what? A lot of people have said that. Uh, they've gone on the record saying they've drank with Lemmy a million times. Whatever drugs he was doing, drinking with him, never saw him wasted. Never. Yeah. Amazing. Kept it together. Now, the last band I got to ask you about uh, is a band that came a lot of years later after you. But I, I, I just want to know what you think of that second generation of punk. What do you think of Green Day? Um, I like some of their songs. Yeah, um, my my son, my young son, when he was about twelve, thirteen, was a big fan. I had to go and see him with them. I, I think their music's good. Their show just goes on too much, you know, getting people out of the audience and you know yeah. what could what would be great for an hour, sort of two and a half hours later, you're thinking, oh, I wish I brought the newspaper with me. <laughs> but they, <laughs> but I, I I tell you what I do remember. I remember buying my son when he was 13 or something for his iPod back then. You know, one of those docks that you put in and there's built-in speakers, right? And yeah. he, he, he had a wooden um, chest of drawers in his bedroom, you know, to keep your socks and football shirts in. Right. So we put it on the top of that and I said, right, what are you going to put on? And he went, American Idiot. So we put it on press play. <laughs> It sounded fantastic. It was like, wow. Yeah. Well American Media was actually a pretty good album. Yeah. For yeah, that but time, it, it was a good just album. A, just particularly that track, you know. And yeah. I had a funny yeah. story with, with Green Day. Yeah, they're good guys. And um, I, I, some award thing, I had to give them an award in London. This is maybe about 10 years ago. And when yeah. you do these award ceremonies, you have to go backstage and you have a picture taken with the band and whoever's presented it. And as we're walking backstage, for all I knew, there's Slipknot coming the other way, right? And Green Day started really having a go at them. You know, it's, hey, you know, did your mum send you? Really having yeah. a go and Slipknot didn't say anything. And I thought, well, this is really weird. I'm involved wow. in this sort of kind of American rock and roll Peyton Place scenario. And they j just took it, you know, and you thought they'd yeah. give them two times back. Anyway, we had to go and have a picture date. And I said, what's going on there? They didn't say anything about back. He said, Glenn. Yeah, Billy Joe said, Glenn. He said, that wasn't Slipknot. Because they're all wearing masks. They sent their fans dressed up as Slipknot 
to accept the wolves room. And next thing, these poor kids have got like Green Day and the Sex Pistol taking the mickey out of them. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's amazing, man. So, Glenn, I want to thank you for coming on. You've been fantastic. You you were caught in a traffic jam and you did the interview in a car. I, I, I can't thank you more than that. Um, well, let's, let's, let's say thanks to technology, eh? Yeah, yeah I know, I know. It's true. Thank you, technology. Listen, yeah. anytime you're in New York City, you look us up. This man here is one hell of a bartender, okay? We've got a bar on the Lower East Side called the International Bar on First Avenue. You come down, we'll hook you up. You're, 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 part, you're part of us now, all right? I really appreciate well, it. Trying, all right, well, thanks for having us. But play a couple of tracks, you know. Oh, yeah. Yep. I'm going to be playing it, and uh, hopefully this all this ends soon and you can get yeah. some new music out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I'll be, I'll be, see, I was, just before this, I was supposed to come um, to the States. I was, I was going to be opening up for um, uh, Dropkick Murphys. Oh, in Buffalo. oh, good band. I was going to be in in, in, um, in Boston on St. Patrick's Day. I was oh, going to do that's that. every year they do. And then, then I had a couple of shows in Canada, and then I was going to come back to New York, and I had some just solo shows, you know, club shows and stuff, and I was picking up loads of shows, and I was going to sit with Mario and go through all the Too Much Guitar that Els put on the new album, you know, and mix it. Right. And I couldn't do that because of the lockdown. So I've still got to do that. So as soon as I can come over, I'll be that okay. yeah, hopefully, cool. hopefully that's very soon. Hopefully. Yeah. So we'll see. thank you very much, Glenn. All right. And best of luck yeah. to you. Uh, and then and maybe thanks for coming I, I, on. All right. Thanks for having us. And maybe you might even have a new president by then. I don't know. We'll see. All right. So Who knows? It works out the best for you Americans. Thank you. Yeah, thank yeah. you very much. All right. Thank you, Morning, Have a great day. Thank you very much. Bye.